Welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. Election Day here in the U.S. is less than four weeks away now, which is kind of hard to believe. I don't know about you, but the pandemic has totally warped my sense of time. You could tell me it was the middle of April, and I'd probably believe you. Anyway, to help you spiritually prepare for this big election, we're kicking off a series of episodes on faith and politics. You know, those topics you're not supposed to discuss in polite company. But we're going to tackle them both, together, even if that means I'm not invited to any socially distanced parties in the near future. We're taking on these topics because we're inspired by Pope Francis, who once said that a good Catholic meddles in politics. Yes, really, he said that. A good Catholic meddles in politics. Political engagement is a great way to work for a more just world, even in the midst of our polarization and general political ickiness. These episodes are inspired by a new document the Jesuits of Canada and the USA just released called Contemplation and Political Action, an Ignatian Guide to Civic Engagement. We're looking at how Ignatian spirituality can help shape the way we participate in political life. My guest today is no stranger to these topics, Father Tom Reese S.J. Father Tom is a well-known and longtime commentator on faith and public life, and he currently serves as a columnist for the Religion News Service. He is a former editor of America Magazine and wrote the book Inside the Vatican. We talked about the election and how Catholics can navigate political choices when neither of our major parties perfectly align with Catholic social justice teachings. He offers a lot of food for thought, and I think you'll really enjoy his insights. Don't forget to subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts. And thanks for joining us. Well, Father Tom Reese, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk with me. Uh, first of all, how are you? How are you holding up these days? Uh, thanks for asking, Mike. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm living at uh, Gonzaga High School here in Washington, D.C., and uh, we had a uh, one of our uh, members, uh, the president of the school, Steve Planning, who got sick with the coronavirus. So uh, we've had to be very careful. Uh, have to uh, uh, wear masks whenever we walk around the school anywhere. Uh, it's kind of uh, strange because we're living on a campus with no kids. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's a strange world that we're living in. No, that's certainly true. I imagine for for most of our listeners, uh, you will need not much of an introduction. A uh, longtime commentator, columnist, editor, writer, uh, public intellectual, all those things. But uh, how how do you introduce yourself uh, to people who might not be familiar with your work? Well, most uh, people who are familiar with the Jesuits uh, know that I was editor of America Magazine and actually worked there. Uh, uh, for a number of years, even before I became editor-in-chief. And uh, I've been uh, involved in that kind of work uh, uh, since uh, the mid-70s, the work of journalism and writing and, and uh, uh, commentary. Uh, I've worked for the National Catholic Reporter, worked for America Magazine, and now I'm working for Religion News Service, which is a... Uh, uh, a secular uh, entity that covers religion as a news. So uh, I'm one of their uh, Catholic commentators. Uh, we have writers who are Muslim, uh, uh, Baptist, uh, Mormon, uh, uh, 
all sorts of uh, different religions uh, because we feel that religion is something important uh, in life. Uh, it has an impact on the world and on people, and it deserves, uh, it deserves to be covered uh, uh, as news. You have so much experience doing those things, that commentary, looking at the intersections of faith and public life that I thought it would be great to, to have you come on to talk about this election we have in front of us in these unprecedented times uh, here in the United States uh, and to maybe do some reflection on, uh, you know, what people of faith, you know, where they might kind of look for for guidance or how they might do some reflection on on how they might participate uh, in this process. So maybe if we could could start by I'd love to ask you about uh, a recent column you wrote for for Religion News Service that I thought was great. The headline was Trump or Biden, what's a Catholic voter to do? And you kind of go through in that piece talking about what Catholic politicians are, how you might de define them, and then kind of looking at you know, again, how are Catholic voters supposed to navigate this world in which no, none of our two major party platforms really all that closely align with the totality of Catholic social teaching? So maybe if you could, we'll link to the, the piece in our, our show notes, but maybe you could start by just talking a little bit about that piece and, and where the idea came from, what you wanted to do with that column from, uh, from August. Well, I knew the election was coming up and uh, uh, there's lots of people uh, commenting uh, about it from a Catholic perspective. And uh, I think some of the people commenting are simply all wet. Uh, for example, you will hear people saying that if you vote for Joe Biden, you're going to go to hell uh, or things like that. Or people saying, oh, the bishops, they're all backing Trump. Uh, that's not true. Uh, so what I thought I would do was uh, go to the foundational document of the U.S. bishops on uh, political responsibility. It's a document called Faithful Citizenship, and I encourage everybody to read that document uh, to help educate themselves as uh, Catholic citizens, as citizens that are uh, uh, concerned about what's happening in our country and uh, help them prepare for the day they, uh, they vote, either by mail or uh, in the ballot box. Uh, it is a, a, a strange year for politics. Uh, you know, not only, you know, is there not the kind of stumping campaigns that we're used to with big crowds and uh, cheering uh, people and uh, motorcades and big rallies. I mean, we don't have that this year because of COVID-19. Uh, so that's very strange. Uh, we also uh, have a, a situation of, of issues that are really, really uh, important uh, for our country. Uh, three issues that are uh, uh, foremost in most people's minds today, of course, are COVID-19, the disease itself, uh, and the impact that that's happening on uh, people, on our families, on uh, workers, on the poor, on the homeless, uh, on old people and uh, healthcare workers. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, right now as we're recording, it's almost 190,000 people who have died uh, because of COVID-19. So the question uh, in many people's minds is what should be the government's response uh, to this disease and this crisis? Uh, and, of course, related to that is the impact COVID-19 has had on the economy. Um, 
we have not seen uh, uh, the economy tank uh, like it did early this year, uh, you know, really this badly since the uh, Great Depression. Uh, this is just a huge problem. I mean, we have people out of work. We have people who uh, don't have money to pay uh, for food or pay their rent or pay their mortgage. Uh, we have people fearing uh, eviction, um, you know, and uh, uh, the, the government, Congress, uh, and the president enacted some help uh, for people, uh, extra money on unemployment insurance, but that's expired at the end of July, and money's running out for people uh, where they, you know, they're not sure where they can uh, get food, how they can buy food. Uh, here at uh, where I'm living at Gonzaga High School in the basement of the church, we have the McKenna Center, which is named after a Jesuit who took care of the homeless and the poor uh, for uh, many, many years in Washington, D.C. Well, people are coming uh, here uh, to uh, get food from the food pantry, uh, coming here to get uh, a free lunch. Uh, and it's difficult to do because we, you know, the people working there and the volunteers have to keep social distance. So uh, these are the kinds of things. And then finally, of course, the the uh, uh, the issues of racism and racial uh, uh, unrest is uh, is really forefront. And the the issue of police brutality and uh, that is uh, is is really uh, become conscious in our minds. I mean, many, uh, many white folks like me thought everything was going fine at, you know, in terms of race relations. And, and then we see these videos of uh, black people being uh, basically murdered uh, by police officers. Uh, so all of these issues are issues that uh, voters have to think about, talk about. And, uh, and from public opinion polls, we know that these are the three uh, issues that voters are most concerned about. So it, like you say, this is a unique time in American politics uh, uh, to say nothing of the polarization that we see today. Uh, I mean, I lived through the Nixon era. I lived through the Vietnam era. I lived through the civil rights era. Um, and uh, we thought things were pretty bad then. Well, things are, you know, once again, pretty bad. So you mentioned that polarization, which, of course, you know, we see throughout the country and beyond, but also it infects the church uh, that people kind of find themselves pretty far apart and maybe don't even spend time talking to each other within church contexts uh, about some of these issues. In your your piece, you talk about some of that that challenge for Catholics uh, in that column. You said it would be indif difficult, if not impossible, to find a politician who agrees with the bishops or the pope on all issues. They're much too liberal for Republicans on capital punishment, as well as economic, health care, welfare, immigration and foreign policy. They are much too conservative for Democrats on abortion, birth control and gay marriage. So so what what is a Catholic to do who might feel kind of politically homeless? Well, it is a real challenge. I mean, uh, Catholic social teaching does not fit any uh, uh, political platform uh, today. Uh, and uh, this is uh, this makes it uh, a challenge for uh uh, Catholics when they go into the voting booth uh, to decide how 
they are going to vote. Uh, the bishops in the doc in their document, uh, Faithful Citizenship, uh, recognizes this uh, that there is uh, that it really is a challenge today uh, to uh, to understand how to how to vote. Uh, uh, they say, "quote Catholics often face difficult choices about how to vote." The bishops themselves are admitting that it's not easy. It's, you know, that it's not clear uh, who people should vote for. Uh, so it's something that requires uh, uh, Catholics to pray about, to think about, uh, to reflect about, uh, to look at and decide uh, how they should vote uh, in this particular time. You've seen some commentators who would come out and, and say things like a Catholic cannot vote for this candidate, just cannot do it and be in good standing or cannot do it if they don't then run to confession right after to confess that sin. That doesn't seem to be quite in line with uh, what the bishops are saying or what popes have said. No, uh, the bishops uh, very clearly uh, said in their document uh, that a Catholic cannot vote for a candidate who favors a policy promoting an intrinsic evil act, such as abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, deliberately subjecting workers or the poor to subhuman living conditions, redefining marriage in ways that violate its essential meaning, or racist behavior. Uh, what, so they now often uh, conservatives will put a period at that point in the sentence. Uh, but they go on to say, if the voter's intent is to support that position. So what they're saying is that uh, uh, a Catholic could vote for a candidate who held uh, one or more of those positions if it was not his intent to support those positions, but because uh, they were voting for that candidate for some other uh, reason uh, for some other uh, uh, rationale uh, for some other morally grave reason is the terminology that they use. Uh, so uh, that's important to remember. And so you have to, as a Catholic, you have to weigh, weigh uh, the moral gravity of the positions taken by a, a particular politician and the, the moral gravity of the reasons you would vote for or against that particular candidate. Um, it's, you know, it's not an, you know, this is not a decision a computer can make. This is a decision that only a human being can make because it's a decision that's a prudential judgment. Uh, it's a decision that someone makes through uh, discernment by looking and and uh, trying to figure out what's best for the country. Um, and these, these are what Thomas Aquinas calls prudential decisions. Uh, you know, they're not, it's not black and white decisions. It's not always clear. Uh, and uh, we're asked to look at the issues and, and uh, pray over them and uh, look at the values we hold and embrace uh, ask ourselves, what can this politician do to advance these values and these concerns? Uh, and then uh, we have to make a decision and vote. 
You use that word discernment, which of course is a, a big word in Jesuit circles and a great gift of Ignatian spirituality. I'm wondering if for someone who is you know, wrestling and wants to do some of that discernment, uh, which is not just kind of sitting around and, and waiting for inspiration, but wrestling with big questions and bringing those to prayer and, and reflection. What are some maybe some questions or, or pointers you might give to, to people who are tr- maybe going to want to try that discernment out, who might not have their minds made up and uh, are interested in, in doing some discernment? What what advice could you give? I think before we even get into discernment, we have to uh, back up a little bit and remember that St. Ignatius said that in order to have a proper discernment, we have to be indifferent. And I'll tell you, being indifferent is pretty difficult uh, in uh, politics. It's something that we're really not, uh, uh, really very few people can do. Uh, for example, are we indifferent about whether our taxes go up or down or what? Uh, are we indifferent about how uh, a particular uh, uh, political decision would impact us personally? Uh, these are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves. Uh, this is uh, because, uh, you know, politics is supposed to be about the common good. It's the good of the entire community. And for Catholics, it means also the good of, uh, of people, not only uh, in our community in the United States, but uh, people around the world, all of whom are our brothers and sisters. So when we ask ourselves uh, these questions, we have to ask, how will uh these politicians or these decisions impact the common good impact people uh, all over the world uh and those are you know we we have to be indifferent about how that impacts us i'm afraid in fact today uh in politics it's exactly the opposite uh, you know, we, we hope that our religion, our values, uh, the gospel will have an impact on uh, our political decisions. That doesn't mean that we do what the bishops tell us. That doesn't mean that uh, uh, we follow the directions of the clergy. No, that means we follow what the values are of the gospel as we see them. But in any case, that doesn't seem to be what really is happening if we look at the polling data. You know, for example, what we find is that people's views are more dependent on their allegiance to a political party than they are uh, based on their allegiance uh, to the scriptures. Uh, You know, so if you ask people uh, what their views are in something, uh, they're, you know, the best predictor of their attitudes is their political party, not their religion. And we see people's, inf- you know, who make their decisions based on partisan politics rather than uh, on uh, the gospel values. So uh, when you when you hear a particular uh, uh issue being debated, uh, most people don't ask, what do, what would the gospel tell me about this issue? The first question is, what does my political party, or what does Trump say about this, or what does Biden say about this? 
Uh, and that's what determines our, our views. And uh, what Ignatius tells us is that we have to step away from that. And that's what is called indifference uh, before we uh, even begin to discern. And that is something I think that people find very, very difficult uh, to do. Uh, we have to ask what is not what not what's best for my political candidate, not what's best for my political party, uh, but what's best for the common good. How do we get more people or even ourselves to do that? Uh, do you think? I, I guess you're saying that that is challenging. It's so tribal that we might even if we don't identify with a party, even they say independents generally lean one way or another. How do we let our faith drive us to our views and our decisions as opposed to letting our faith and our morals be shaped by this kind of tribal commitment to a party? Are there any like other things you've seen that worked to help communities or, or people move that direction? Well, I, th I think there's a number of things. I think, you know, we have to constantly go back to the scriptures and, and uh, make sure that we are well rooted in the gospel and in the prophetic tradition uh, of the Hebrew scriptures uh, so that our, our souls are nourished uh, by the gospels, by Jesus's concern for the poor, by the prophet's challenge uh, to the political establishment, to the political elites. Uh, I think that we have to be in touch that way. Um, I think also the other thing that we need to do is we need to sit down and listen to one another. Um, you know, the Catholic community, I think, has a, a greater responsibility to do this than than any other group in the United States. Most uh, religious groups are aligned with one party or another party. Catholics are kind of unusual in that we're almost split 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, you know, if you're an evangelical Baptist, uh, you pretty well know how you're gonna vote. If you're Jewish, you know how you're gonna vote. If you're a black Baptist, you know how you're gonna vote. Uh, so most, uh, most of these religious groups are, are homogeneous almost in terms of their political orientation. Catholics are, are divided. And as a result, we have a special challenge to be in conversation with each other. We have to sit down with each other and first acknowledge that we are, we are all children of the same God. We're all followers and disciples of Jesus. We have this and we share this in common. And we need to talk about this. We need to talk about our values and we need to respect one another uh, and listen to one another uh, so that we don't dehumanize each other, uh, which is so much happening uh, in American politics today. I think that Catholics have a unique opportunity to do this. You know, if I was a bishop, I think one of the things I would do is uh, uh, I would invite uh, two Republicans and two Democrats, uh, maybe even political office holders, uh, to dinner, you know, in, in my uh, uh, home and uh, get them to just talk about how their faith uh, impacts their lives and to talk about that. I think we, we just don't do that. We live in our own little bubbles of Republicans or Democrats. 
And uh, I think that's very dangerous for our country and also for our church. And so we need to, uh, I think, you know, as Pope Francis said, we need to build bridges. And uh, uh, this is something that I think the Catholic Church uh, should be doing. Yeah, I haven't thought about how Catholics really are uniquely positioned as such a you know a large community, diverse community, uh, to to maybe have some of those discussions that might not be as present in other places. Uh, I, I am curious, as we've seen, uh, obviously faith itself has a big imp- like big role in both campaigns uh, for presidency. It seems that both President Trump and Vice President Biden are reaching out to voters of faith, drawing at least pre- Vice President Biden draws on his own faith. Uh, his own Catholicism all the time in his, his speeches. Uh, we, again, have had many images and, and things done by the, the president that were meant to kind of, you know, increase his support among Christian communities, things he thought would be uh, supported by by Christians. I just imagine, you know, I can picture that his walk to the, the church in Washington, D.C. and holding a Bible up, depending on whether or not that worked for him politically. Uh, that was clearly a, uh, you know, a move to, to win support from religious communities. As you kind of look at these campaigns play out and having watched a lot of presidential campaigns before, what is like, the role, the different roles of faith that you're seeing? What are you noticing? What's striking you about how, how faith, religion, uh, their role within both of those campaigns? Well, uh, I think that uh, religion uh, is playing a a role in this campaign. Uh, But, you know, religion has been involved in uh, American politics uh, from the very beginning. I mean, uh, we were a white uh, Protestant uh, country. Most of the founding fathers were uh, were white uh, uh, Protestants. Uh, and Catholics were looked upon with some suspicion uh, by these groups, but they had the courage and the insight to recognize that religious freedom is essential uh, to a democracy. Uh, And we can thank God for uh, uh, their commitment to religious freedom uh, because some of the founding fathers didn't trust Catholics. They certainly didn't trust Jesuits. And, uh, and yet they said, uh, th- our principles tell us that we have to re- respect religious freedom. Uh, and I think as, as Catholics came into this country as poor immigrants, uh, they were not greeted well. Uh, they faced the same kind of discrimination that uh, immigrants uh, face today uh, in our country. Uh, the same kind of bias. They were treated as not real Americans. Um, and there was a lot of prejudice against them. So religion, you know, has played a role. It played a role in the, uh, the temperance movement, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, making uh, the sale of alcohol illegal. It played a role in the, in the uh, uh, movement to give the vote to women. Uh, it certainly played a role in uh, uh, in the civil rights movement. Uh, so religion has been playing a role in American politics uh, for a long, long time, um, and we see it. You know, we see it right now. Uh, certainly, the abortion issue has focused the attention of a lot of religious people uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, of American politics. Uh, so what, what we see um, kind of different 
is is how the different religious groups uh, act in this area. Uh, what's unique about the Catholic bishops and Catholic clergy is that we've had a long tradition where uh, the bishops will talk about issues, but they will not endorse political candidates or parties. I think, you know, the Catholic, uh, Catholic community uh, recognized that religious freedom in the United States was great. Uh, and they look back at the experience in Europe where Catholic bishops basically got in bed with uh, kings and princes and rulers, the nobility, and then later with uh, uh, political parties and politicians, and it did not end well. The church always ended up uh, either being corrupted or people getting mad at the church. This was the great cause of anti-clericalism in Europe, uh, the church's involvement in politics. And Catholic leaders in the United States said, we don't want to go down that path. So they talked about, they've had the tradition of talking about issues, but not endorsing candidates. And I think that is a wonderful tradition. It's not, it's not an issue of separation of church and state. It's not required by the U.S. Constitution. And we can tell by simply looking at the other uh, churches uh, in the United States. Uh, you know, you see all these evangelical leaders endorsing uh, Trump for president. Uh, you know, they're not just praying for him. They are endorsing him. They are campaigning for him. And on the Democratic side, we see black uh, Protestant ministers endorsing uh, Democratic candidates and campaigning for them and uh, trying to get out the vote for them. Uh, this is not the Catholic way. Uh, we don't do it that way. Uh, you know, we, you see in the evangelical community, both in the white and the black uh, uh, community, you see ministers running for president. You know, we had Pat Robertson. We also had Jesse Jackson running for president, both of them ministers. This would be, be the equivalent of having Cardinal Dolan uh, run for president. This is just unacceptable, not because it's against the U.S. Constitution, but because it's against church tradition and church law. We just don't allow clerics to do that because we believe that clerics should transcend uh, politics because they're supposed to help unify uh, the Catholic community. Uh, priests are supposed to unify, help unify their parish. They're supposed to be bridges uh, between uh, various groups in their community. So when you have uh, priests getting up in the pulpit and endorsing candidates or saying that you will go to hell if you vote for a particular candidate, they are violating the tradition that we have had here in the United States that uh, priests do not endorse candidates, do not endorse uh, political parties. And uh, uh, that that is a bad thing. I think you see 
though, while not being partisan, the, the church has strongly, you know, spoken out about issues and feel that as a manifestation of their faith. And I think sometimes might be a little bit confusing when we, you know, we talk about, oh, we do not get involved in, in politics, or at least in partisan politics, but we are, you know, called to lift our voices in behalf of the, the common good. And the, the bishops do that, lay Catholics do that uh, all the time. The Jesuits are involved in that. We have people working for the Jesuits in Washington, working, advocating for, for more just laws. I think sometimes for, for folks might be a little bit confusing that, oh, are, are, we, are they getting involved in politics or not? It's like, well, not in the way you describe in, the, in that partisan way, or either running for office or endorsing candidates, but, but speaking out prophetically about issues from immigration to abortion, to poverty, to war and violence and peace. Uh, and so I, again, I, I think that can be hopefully encouraging uh, to us. I think sometimes we, we do say like, oh, it's all about this, this vote, this one decision, which is clearly a, a big decision. But we, we do hear the instruction from the Pope and, and bishops to be involved all year round, to lift our voices, to advocate, to be in touch with our elected leaders, to put our values into action that way. So even if we don't agree with particular candidates on things, we, we let them know that we bring our, our values uh, to the public square that way. We tried to communicate some of this call in a recent document uh, from the Jesuits called uh, Contemplation and Political Action, an Ignatian Guide to Civic Engagement, which is by the Jesuits of Canada and the U.S. and signed on to by a whole bunch of Jesuit organizations. Uh, I'm not sure if you had a chance to take a look at that yet, uh, but just curious either if you, you had or just thinking again more about what kind of from the Ignatian tradition you mentioned uh, indifference. Are there other things that we can kind of hold with us uh, as we move into this, this season of deciding? Well, I think uh, indifference is, is really a key one, uh, but it's also uh, to take all these uh, issues to prayer. Uh, and, you know, when we're discerning the spirit, uh, is it anger? Is that the spirit that's motivating us? Uh, or is it, do we, are we finding peace? in our decisions and in, in what we do. Um, I think what you said about uh, the bishop's involvement uh, is extremely important. And I think people uh, forget about it or, or don't know about it. Frankly, if you read, if you only read the secular newspapers, you will be convinced probably that all the bishops care about is abortion. But if I did an article, uh, actually a column uh, at Religion News Service uh, within the last couple of months, taking a look at the bishop's positions and basically what I discovered and what I showed in this column is that the bishops uh, criticized Trump as, uh, as often as they uh, uh, praise him. So for example, what I did is I looked at uh, the press releases that the uh, bishops uh, had issued in the last year. Uh, and what we find is that they uh, praise Trump on what he's done in terms of uh, uh, limiting uh, access to abortion, whether it was the Mexico City policy or others, uh, and also uh, his decisions and his uh, administration's decisions on some religious liberty issues. So on those issues, uh, they were praising him. On the other hand, they absolutely trounce him when it comes to his treatment of immigrants, his separating of uh, children from their parents at the border, uh, the putting of children in cages, uh, the treatment of DACA 
of uh, uh, students and children, you know, those who were brought into the country at a very young age and uh, most of whom uh, know nothing about any other country than the United States and were raised here and are want to be good, want to become citizens and contribute. Um, you know, they're terrified that someday they're going to be uh, uh, deported. Uh, and the bishops are, are saying, no, this is wrong. This should not be. The bishops have been very outspoken on uh, the need to expand Medicaid, uh, the need to have health care for everybody. In fact, the bishops are much more liberal than the Democrats on this. They want to have, uh, med you know, medical care for undocumented uh, uh, people in the United States. And frankly, they're right. Look at the COVID-19. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a citizen or not. You need health care. And if you want to protect people, uh, you know, citizens, you have to give health care to people who are not citizens. So uh, I think that the, uh, uh, the bishops have been talking out about these issues uh, and urging other Catholic you know, Catholics to uh, write their members of Congress, try and uh, uh, support programs that help uh, pregnant mothers, that help uh, with daycare, help increase the minimum wage, all of these kinds of things. So as I say in my column, the only people that would be really uh, in line with the uh, American bishops and with Catholic social teaching are very liberal Democrats who are also pro-life, uh, and I describe that as a unicorn. Uh, you know, uh, I, as you know, when it comes to political candidates, because those people rarely uh, get elected in the United States. So, kind of against this backdrop, we see what the you know the bishops doing, trying to navigate in between you know these worlds. We said no party really aligns closely with the totality of the seamless garment of Catholic teaching and standing up for the life and dignity of everyone. We have again within the church a lot of kind of people hurling things back and forth and, and saying some pretty uh, you know dramatic things about candidates or people who support those candidates. I'm just wondering for you, like in the middle of all that and kind of being caught up in that uh, the polarization that we're experiencing, are you ever tempted to just like walk away from from all of it? Like, how do you stay hopeful or committed uh, in the midst of this kind of pretty dispiriting time? Well, I've, I've never admitted this to anybody else, but yes. Uh, <laughs> I, at one time in my life, when I was uh, in a particular uh, crisis, I was thinking, oh, uh, you know, why don't I just go to a parish and uh, uh, and, you know, help people directly or uh, uh, why don't I go work uh, for Catholic charities and, and feed people. Uh, the role of uh, uh, someone who's trying to, well, uh, trying to imitate the prophets of old uh, is, uh, is a challenging one. Uh, it's... Uh, uh, because, you know, my, uh, frankly, my role as a commentator, I've had to criticize my friends uh, as well as my critics. I've had to, to uh, criticize Republicans as well as Democrats. I've had to criticize uh, uh, people in church office, high church offices. I sometimes even criticize Pope Francis. Uh, you know, that is your role is to speak the truth as you see it. 
um, but with uh, with not with anger. Uh, you have to speak it with the hope that uh, you can contribute to the conversation. And when you and when you find out you're wrong, you have to admit you're wrong and say, "Oh, that's a much better idea." And that's why listening has to be a key part of this whole process uh, of discernment. Uh, listening to what uh, uh, what people have to say, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think there is the de- there is the temptation to go off to a monastery. Uh, but that is not a Jesuit, that's, that's, that's not the Jesuit way. Uh, our way is to be involved in the world, uh, to try and uh, spread the gospel message of Jesus, uh, to try and uh, help form uh, men and women for others, uh, and to be committed uh, to building the kingdom of God uh, to the best of our ability. Well, Father Tom Reese, thank you so much for all you do to help build the kingdom of God. Thank you for your your writing and your prophecy, speaking truth to power, uh, and for taking some time to reflect. It'll be really interesting to to watch what unfolds uh, here leading up to the election. But again, uh, as we discussed, uh, again, our call to be engaged as faithful citizens that will go beyond uh, November. So thank you again for that, that feedback and blessings on you and your, your community as you uh, continue to navigate uh, the pandemic. Thanks, Mike. It was good to be with you. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Dara Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan-Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. Mm